Welcome to Hollywood Wolfpack with Kaya Alexander, featuring in-depth interviews and insights with professionals in the entertainment business. Get everything you need to navigate your above-the-line career right here. This podcast is often recorded live in front of Kaya students in the Entertainment Business School. You can find out more at entertainmentbusinessschool.com. Hollywood Wolfpack is the new face of entertainment business wisdom. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the show. I am Kaya Alexander. Stoked to be here today with my special guest, writer Joe Russo. Let me tell you about Joe. He's awesome. He is a cinephile, horror fan, pizza lover, and filmmaker. Joe is a three-time Bloodlist screenwriter whose recent feature film credits include the Mickey Rourke starring horror anthology Nightmare Cinema, the lifetime thriller The Au Pair Nightmare, the Bruce Willis starring Hard Kill, the Ryan Philip or Philippe, I'm not sure. Philippe. Thank Ryan you. Philippe. Philippe and Ving Rames and Kate Bosworth starring The Locksmith and the Zac Efron Russell Crowe starring The Greatest Beer Run Ever. He's also the producer of the critically acclaimed horror podcast Postmortem with Mick Garris. Joe in the house. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know, are your feet blistered? You're off straight off the picket line coming to us here this afternoon. I, I You can definitely tell my face is a little red. Uh, I forgot my sunscreen today. <laughs> Did you get rained on too? We've had monsoons. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Crazy it, it, here in Southern California. We had, we had rain uh, yesterday and this morning, but we 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 picketed through it. Uh, we're, we're on strike. Uh, yes. Yeah. Burn, burn Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> hey, um, where'd you go pick it? So I am stationed at CBS Television City, uh, which is kind of in the Mid Wilshire Miracle Mile area. Yes. Uh, and there I will live until this is over because I am a Writers Guild captain and I maybe foolishly volunteered to be a uh, assistant gate coordinator, which means that uh, that is my lot. And I will be there every morning until the strike is resolved. I would love to hear more about the strategy, both behind picketing and the strike and what's happening, and also your particular strategy as writers with picket signs on site. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so... The idea with picketing, obviously, is to create awareness. Um, you know, it's 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 visible. People see it. People see it driving by. People see the signs. Um, you know, I think especially in the era of social media, which, you know, the last strike in 2007 was just a little little before the curve on that. You know, I think it's it's very visible now. I think this week you've probably seen it, too. Uh, there's tons and tons of photos and videos flooding Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and it's been really great to see kind of the the solidarity and uh, how many people have our back. And uh, so so it's about creating visibility, obviously. And then it's also just to, you know, kind of annoy the shit out of the people who have to go in and out of the studio gates. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we've, we definitely have had 
Oh man, there was this one lady yesterday. She pulled too far into the intersection trying to take left into CBS and she got stuck at a, you know, at the intersection, the light just wasn't changing for some reason. I think she like drove past the signals and she probably got stuck trying to take a left for 10 minutes. Oh uh, we were just marching through the intersection, preventing her from turning. In. There you go. And yeah. So, you know, I have, I, they gave me a megaphone. Uh, so I was, I was, yeah, it was just fun. And, you know, I was basically saying, you know, Hey, tell your bosses to make a deal and we'll go away, you know, like, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of visibility. Uh, and I think just like showing the world that like, we are pencils down, we're not writing right now. We're out there fighting, uh, for, for, our careers and for future screenwriters careers. That's a beautiful thing. It's my hope to echoing what you've just said that this actually does reach the consumers who really follow stars or celebrities or actors more than they really understand writers and writers names that go into the creation of the shows and the films that they love so much. Do you feel like we're getting more penetration I mean, I think writers will always have set, like third visibility behind directors and, and stars, you know, but, uh, but I, you know, I think, I think it is, I, again, I feel a lot of uh, support. I feel a lot of, you know, there's been a lot more on social media, people saying, go get them, you know, get, get, get the money uh, than there have been people saying, go get a real job. Uh <laughs> So, which which there have been plenty of those too, uh, and weirdly they all have uh, Elon Musk's blue checks after their name. Um, but but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. You know, I I I feel I think the writers are feeling the love right now, which is which is good and important because uh, what we're doing is not easy. Speaking of the negotiation and some of the points that were brought up to the WJ and where the negotiations fell apart, were you surprised at all to see the things that the studios refused to negotiate on? There were a few of these points, including AI being one of them. Yeah, I was, um, I've been thinking there was going to be a strike pretty much for the last several months. I, I was not someone who thought there was going to be a deal, uh, but what I was surprised about when the WGA showed um, their proposals and what the studios countered with, which I thought was a brilliant thing to release that publicly. Um, I think it's super helpful so everyone can really see how bad things are with the studios right now. Um, it was further apart than I could have ever imagined. Um, and the fact that they're not engaging with us on things like free work or things like artificial intelligence is really, really concern concerning. Yes. Uh, it, show it shows you it shows you where they want to take things. For some of my listeners who might not be as familiar with free work, we're recording this live in front of some of my students at the Entertainment Business School who know a bit more about the free work that is sometimes expected of writers at so many stages of the creation process. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of pressure for free work across all spectrums of of screenwriting. I, I my my career has mostly been focused on feature screenwriting, so I can't speak to the the TV side of the free work so much. But um, you know, usually when you're initially developing things with producers, uh, there's expectations of you know 
when you're, you're going to develop a pitch for free and then they might give you notes on that pitch and then they might give you notes again before they put it in front of their boss or pour, before they put it in front of the studio so you're doing all of these rewrites on an extensive uh story document before you even get the chance to even get a job uh you know that's that's a big problem and then you know once you're let's say you get the job and you're lucky enough to, to do that um a lot of writers are only getting you know one-step deals where they write the thing and the producers look at it and say oh gosh we don't want to give this to the buyer yet until we think it's absolutely perfect why don't you do some notes oh no why don't you do some more notes why don't you do some more notes and then you end up in this cycle where they're blocking the material from going to the studio because you know they're trying to make sure it moves ahead yes uh but in doing so they're basically grinding the screenwriter's fee which is usually split into an upfront and a delivery payment uh half and half yes holding that second piece back to the point where it devalues it to almost nothing right especially new producer comes on oh another round of notes new producer came on the project yeah. and it's like where where the when the horizon keeps moving and you're chasing it when do you finally you know get to stop so that was one of the pieces that was up for the negotiation yeah we were we were trying to build in two-step deals so that we have uh you know additional rewrites built in so that it takes the pressure off of the producer and the writer to deliver a first draft and we really can actually collaborate with the studio and the producer to shape the script in the way they want it to go how is that similar or different to an if come deal well i mean an if come deal is more like you're teaming up with a producer and you'll develop either from scratch or maybe you've already got a spec that they're developing with you um the idea is eventually they're going to take it to market right and if they sell it then you will get paid for it right it's it, if if you sell it then money will come if come right uh so you know it's 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 yeah you're still doing free work essentially in an if come situation but that's more like i think early stage development um when the the free work that they're trying to negotiate with the the studios on more so is this uh once you set up a project with a buyer um how do you ensure that there are steps built into your contract that lets you uh deliver a script get paid get their notes do a rewrite deliver it get paid again um and and make sure that it's not stretched out into an unreasonable time frame yes that makes a lot of sense what do you feel are the most important elements for our listeners to understand about the writer's strike I think the thing that people don't understand on the outside looking in is I think people think Hollywood there's a lots of money uh you know and yes there are some screenwriters who have very very big overall deals with studios but like that is the the very very few exception to the rule the rule is you've got a lot of working class screenwriters um you know if you make a hundred thousand dollars on a deal per se right 
and you've got an agent manager and lawyer, you're taking 25% out of that $100,000 right off the top. You also have to take another 20% out for taxes. Yeah. So now you're looking at like just over $50,000 left, right? And if you have a writing partner like I do, you have to cut that in half. Um, and so $100,000 deal doesn't sound so good when you look at it that way. Uh, and then if you are doing a bunch of free work and it's stretching out the time frame you're working on that one project, that you know, twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars gets stretched even further. Right, uh, like this isn't like salary. You're not guaranteed to make that again next year, right? Exactly. You have to then go find another job. You have to go sell another screenplay. You have to get hired for an open writing assignment, uh, and there's no guarantee of that at all. Um, so that money that you make on that project may have to last you six months to two years before you can do it again. You know. Uh, so lots of screenwriters have had to get second jobs, side, you know, start side businesses, do little gig hustles, you know, just to like help support the fact that they're making movies or television shows for some of the richest companies in the world. Uh, and that's the big thing that the Writers Guild is trying to fight against. Uh, all of the uh, heads of the companies paid themselves bonuses last year that totals in the amount more than what the guild is asking for for three more years but uh, just the bonuses total yeah and this is like and this is like eight people that we're talking about oh, versus, yeah. no. versus thousands of writers versus thousands of writers yeah these ceos are pulling in nine figures ten figures in some cases if you add in the stock op options yeah. of how David, much David Zasloff made 250 million dollars last year one person uh, and that's about half of what the guild's asking for. Yeah, and this is the guy who killed Batgirl to do it. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and then gave himself a massive bonus in exchange. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah. <laughs> the inequity is, it's astonishing. I mean, you look at the actual figures and the way that it breaks down. I hope that the strike really does raise awareness, you know, amongst everyone. I feel like it'll put more pressure on these companies to do the right thing if there's a lot more awareness around it. Yeah, I agree. What do you, uh, how... How soon do you think this could be resolved? <laughs> That's the magic question, isn't it? Um, you know, we had a really great uh, meeting with the Guild membership uh, as of this recording uh, this, this past Wednesday night on day two of the strike. And the big surprise that happened at that meeting was the heads of all of the labor unions were there at the WGA meeting. And... That's really significant because it's never happened before. Uh, so historically, historically, wow, huge, huge precedent. Um, and we've never really gotten to the guilds together in a way where we could work together. Um, and the directors guild and SAG's contract are being renegotiated over the next few weeks. Uh, the, those two agreements expire June thirtieth. So um, 
there is a world where if we continue to link arms with all the guilds uh, and the AMPTP, which is the group that represents all of the studios, if they don't come and make a deal with us and with them by June 30th, there's a world where all production, all writing shuts down. Hollywood will literally stop. Uh, and that is a reality that is getting closer and closer by the minute. Um, wow. I know 15 years ago, it cost California about $2 billion. Uh, and that was just with the writers striking. Imagine what happens when, strike. yes, imagine what happens when everything shuts down. Mm -hmm. And my hope is if that does come to pass and that happens, it will force the studios back to the table in a meaningful way. Uh, and that it will get resolved fairly quickly in a short order after that. Yeah, uh, right now they've got the golden goose, right? Just keep laying, you know, and we'll keep cashing in. And it's right. just it's just astounding the um the apathy that has come down the pike, you know, even yeah. at the earnings call from uh from from Warner Discovery, which was this week, which is like, yeah, we're on track to be profitable, you know, to the tunes of many billions of dollars on the backs of hardworking people. Well, and and the reality is uh, they all took stock baths this week. They all lost a lot of value this week. And that's just in the first couple of days of the strike. Imagine this stretching on. Imagine what happens when SAG and the DGA strike as well. They will have to come to the table because they will be hemorrhaging money at the stock market. Um, so that's the goal is to just keep applying these pain pressures until they give us a deal that is reasonable, that takes into account some of these things that they literally just ignored in our proposals. For my listeners who are not in the major hubs, Los Angeles, New York, how can they help? That's a great question. Uh, obviously social media, uh, tweeting at the studios, telling them, you know, that they want them to make a fair deal for the writers, that they want this to be resolved. Uh, that that helps, you know, whatever you can do in, in solidarity for uh, the writers is great. Um, the Writers Guild has set up a fund, uh, which I believe you can find on their um, WGAstrike.org website. Um, and on its it's it's like we used to be called the actors fund i think it's called like the entertainment fund now but you can make donations to that um and that is money that can be used not just by screenwriters to get them through the strike but it's also for anyone actors uh craftspeople below the line um anyone who is struggling from the strike can have access to this fund and apply for money from it so uh that would that's a huge you know making a donation to that i think would help the fight for sure if you're you're not nearby and you know i think uh i think the guild is working on you know maybe some strategies about potential boycotts and things so like kind of maybe keep an eye out for that uh in case you know we need to mobilize but um uh you know that that might be a little bit further down the road that's really really helpful well let's go back a little bit in time let's talk a little bit more about you how did you get into show business how did you fall in love with this profession um well, I grew up um, in Connecticut, which is almost as far away from Los Angeles as you can get. Uh, and so I never really considered making movies as a viable career. Um, you know, if we don't win this strike, it, it might not be still. Uh, 
but uh um i grew up loving movies um my parents weren't really sports people they were arts people and so they instilled in me a deep love of movies from an early age um but it wasn't until i got into college that i really started to be like oh you know, this is this is a job and a career you can have, and and I can go transition into the film school and you know get my degree in this, and and so that's kind of where the bug really bit me, um, and I ended up working production for several years as a crew member uh, in various different departments um, in productions in Arizona. You know, feature films, reality TV, commercials, industrials, all sorts of different things, all sorts of different positions. I really learned all the departments, what they do, how to talk to a crew, which has been super helpful for down the road. Um, and then I was living in Arizona at the time. There was state tax incentive. It went away. And uh, so did all the work. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my dream of Arizona becoming like a... a you know, an Austin, Texas kind of, you know, offshoots of Hollywood type of thing quickly dried up. And uh, I said to my wife, I was like, I have to go to Los Angeles. And she said, that's fine. But until you have a steady job, you're coming home every weekend. Uh, so I started driving back and forth between Phoenix and LA, which wow, is it's like eight hours, isn't it? Yeah, with traffic, it can be. Yeah, yeah. Like six and a half on a on a, you know, straight shot. Um, and uh, I managed to get an internship out here. And um, I was, uh, I just directed a short that was playing the festivals circuit. And I directed another short that summer uh, while I was interning. And I somehow, by the end of my internship, wrangled a meeting with the CEO of the company. Uh, he had produced a lot of 90s movies like X-Men and Wild Wild West. And um, he watched the shorts and said, You've got the talent. You've got the entrepreneurial spirit. You don't know anyone. You don't know how the industry works. Come work for me. Uh, and yeah, so I, I I became his assistant. And, uh, you know, I was his assistant for a couple of years. And then I moved into the development side of things. I worked as a creative exec uh, and then director of development um, through basically 2015 at the company. Well, um, I was my, a development exec as well, so we share that in common. Yeah, yeah, no, I know I've noticed that from your from your Twitter bio and, and such. Uh, so you know, I like that I have had that experience. I, I I enjoyed being a development exec. I liked working with writers. Um, but you know, most of the writers I worked hand in hand with, I think really liked working with me because I gave them great notes because I secretly was becoming a writer, right? <laughs> so um by by 2015, um, we had had a, a pilot that we wrote uh, that got set up with Will Smith's company. And uh, that was when I was really like, maybe I should be putting more, you know, uh, time into my screenwriting. And um, so I left that job in 2015. Uh, I consulted as a development exec for Christina Aguilera's company for two years. But really, I was trying to get my writing career going during that time. Um, and... Uh, you know, we got our first manager in 2015, signed with Gersh in 2016. That year we got on this thing called The Bloodless, which is the best horror scripts of the year. Yes. And then we we three-peated that with with new specs every year. Um, and uh and and I had my first movie go into production in 2017 as a producer. So 
uh that's that's kind of how i got to the dance <laughs> you, you've had a lot of really interesting projects um tell us a story from one of your favorite films getting made oh my gosh that's that's broad um well you know i guess just going chronologically um you know the first one that i produced uh nightmare cinema was interesting because it was a horror anthology so uh it's five different stories kind of combined into to one feature um but what was really great about that one was you know there were five different directors and they were all really established horror directors like Joe Dante, who directed Gremlins, and David Slade, who was hot off the Hannibal TV series. And, you know, so I got to watch five really distinctive filmmakers from the horror space with a lot of experience under their belt. And I got to be there every day on sets and I got to sit, the, you know, by the monitor with them and watch what they were doing and, you know, watched how they dealt with the crews and how they dealt with the actors. And um, it was just, you know film school is great but like it was it was the best graduate school for actual filmmaking that i could ever have hoped for oh that's incredible yeah yeah it was are cool you, are you also directing so i did direct a movie it's called the all pair nightmare it was a thriller that was on lifetime in uh 2020 right in the the heart of the pandemic uh and yeah we we went and we shot that movie in 2019 um out in new mexico uh, we had almost no money and, uh, 14 days to make it. Um, but it turned out, yeah, it was, uh, it was intense. Um, but you know, I really think I would not have been able to do it had I not just had that experience on nightmare cinema and watched those guys, you know, um, I took a lot of what I learned from that movie and applied it to a pair. And I think that's why, you know, it was successful. And, you know, it was, it was very well received. It got, got good reviews and good ratings and, you know, people, the best compliment I usually get is they're like, this is like the best lifetime movie I've ever seen. It almost feels like a real movie. I'm like, well, it's cause we were trying to <laughs> make one. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so I've, I've that, you know, my hope is, you know, when we made it the hope was oh great we'll have a direct i'll have a directing sample and uh we can start you know pushing me on to some of our our screenwriting projects but the pandemic just kind of topsy-turvied that plan and um i kind of doubled back into screenwriting because that's at the time what people were looking for from us and and now that that's kind of a little bit in our rearview mirror um you know starting to look at what that next directing thing is going to be Oh, that's exciting. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. It seems like you, you know, I used to work for Gary Shandling and he always used to talk about being on the path. Uh, just stay on the path, keep your eyes on the path, walk the path. He was, of course, being Buddhist as well, but it just seems like you're really on a path with all of your work. I hope so. <laughs> I have a question I so. that, I ask, that I ask all my guests, um, especially because it's what I teach with the students in the entertainment business school. I talk a lot about finding your wolf pack not lone wolfing it in this very relationships uh, based business. And you mentioned that you have a writing partner. So I would love to know from you who's in your wolf pack, Joe. Oh man. Uh, we've got, we've got uh, Hollywood is a, a funny town because you meet a lot of transactional friends. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you, when you do find the ones who go beyond being 
just business connects and uh you actually genuinely connect with them on a, a personal level and a creative level you you kind of hold on to them as much as you can you know um and those become the people that you know for for my writing partner and i who i've been writing with chris for uh too long uh <laughs> um we've been we've been literally writing since i i graduated from college which was yeah, I don't know if I want to care to admit that number anymore, but uh, but long enough. Uh, and you know, but but so he's but you know, we found uh, a lot of the people that we've genuinely connected with and we really trust on a creative level. Those are the people you call to get notes on your screenplay before you give it to your representatives, and you know, uh, those are the people that you're calling to vent and talk through the shitty notes you just got from a producer or the you know the the rules of uh trying to cast a, a name actor for your movie so you can get your financing like um you need those people that you can can really vent to and and talk to uh and then you'll realize when you talk to them that they're going through the exact same thing and when you hear that it makes you feel better uh i i you know and and, and you know even right now with with meeting all these writers that I've, i'm meeting for the first time on the picket line during the strike, knowing that we're all in this together, that we're all not working, that we're all not taking general meetings, that we're all not selling screenplays. Um, there's something special about that, uh, you know, relationship kind of, I think, being born in the fire, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it's been heartening seeing other people having a shared experience, I think, because sometimes yeah. all of that is really closely guarded um, and it can be internalized like, oh, if I didn't make that much money, it must be about me somehow. But then for everybody to come together and sort of say, well, we're all having this experience is really powerful in an industry where one of my friends likes to say in this industry, you always have to be happy, busy and pretty all the time so who is it safe to be not happy busy and pretty with i mean those are my real friends and partners as well as like can you know who can you really be real with about what's actually happening and that's a relief to be able to share um the the things that you do tend to keep more close to the vest yeah my my wife tends to think that i uh overshare about some of the problems that i'm facing on projects but i you know but i'm i think I'd rather be honest about where I am in in the creative process or or the development process or the production process. Uh, I I find the people who are like, oh yeah, everything's wonderful and great and blah blah blah. I just I don't believe them, you know, because I know that every movie is uh, can be like really draining and really hard. Uh, and so when they tell me that everything's flowers and candy, I just you know, I just know that they're not being real with me. You're full of shit. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
I, my son has recently fallen in love with horror. Uh, he's only 11, but I was telling him, I said, you know, you're in great company. They're some of the nicest people in the business or the people who write <laughs> horror and work in horror. They're like the greatest. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. You know, I've been, uh, I've been producing a, a podcast of my own, which, which you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, uh, postmortem with Mick Garris. Uh, and, and Mick himself is like genuinely regarded as like one of the nicest people in Hollywood. And it's, and it's true. Uh, and so he's been a, a great person to kind of just learn from and model myself after, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, we've had over 150 guests on the show and I would say there was like two who were not like, who were rude or, you know, not friendly. Like, uh, I mean, and these are like, but the top of the top people that we've had, I mean, Guillermo del Toro, Stephen King, John Carpenter, uh, you know, I mean, like, like Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Karen Kusama. I mean, they've all been wonderful. Uh, so I, you know, we all joke that like, it's because all the horror people get it out on the page or get <laughs> it out and when they make the movie. Uh, and, and genuinely that's why they're like, they're, they're a little kinder and gentler than, um, some of the other creatives in town but uh <laughs> uh it, it really is like a um a wonderfully warm uh and open community which is which has been great to kind of you know have stumbled into uh through my career that's so cool i love that uh, my last question for you is going to be about breaking in but i want to give everybody listening um a little window into why i invited you to be on the show and how we had been chatting and connecting yeah. so i I've been newly producing. My producing partner is Scott Gardenauer, and I'm reading a bazillion scripts for me and Scott. And Scott's unusual because he produced, you know, Armageddon and Pearl Harbor and a lot of Michael Bay's big movies. So he doesn't have the typical like budget restrictions that some of the producers do in the business. But that said, as I've been reading a lot of these scripts, even in Act One or even the first five pages, I'm going, oh my gosh, this writer just burned through millions of dollars in these opening scenes you know and i'm like oh god you know how am I, this is this one that is it really worth it you know to to position for scott and some of them are and some of them really aren't but it can be frustrating uh in terms of looking through all of that material looking for great stories great characters and then realizing okay some of these writers have no idea what their own budgets are they've gone to the limit of their imagination <laughs> <laughs> which is super fun but i was venting about it on twitter it's never a wise thing to do to go to twitter to vent but i was <laughs> i was on twitter venting i think i was i don't know I'm no scared. that's because everyone there's always someone who will disagree with you and i, I <laughs> always i, mean, maybe, I mean, always. feel like that's where we're heading uh but but uh i can't remember exactly but remind I remember what i said but i was like i'm i'm, I'm tired people yeah yeah, um, and then yeah. you had, and we were talking about breaking in and you had dived into the thread and said, you know, it actually doesn't matter what the budget is of some of these scripts who are like pre WGA and how they bust into the business. And what you had seen from your vantage point about writers breaking in, you had a couple stories about writers who had broken in with killer scripts. And, uh, and I just was like, I lo I'd love to hear your perspective. So that's why I invited you on the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, breaking in is obviously that's like the, the great mystery, you know, and 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 it's so glib to say like, oh, just write something great, right? Uh, but it, it really like it's that simple and it's also that complicated, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think you're not wrong. Like, uh, it de it depends what you're looking for will determine what you're going to make. 
but that doesn't mean that the screenplay is not good you know like just because yeah. it's big and, and maybe not producible for your pro- producer that you're working with or your company that doesn't mean that the writing is not good yes. you know uh and and that doesn't mean that that writer is not worth meeting with you know and i think when i first kind of realized that was in 2013 when i was still development exec um there was a writer who's who's my age that like we became really chummy really quick and um you know i went to lunch with him and we were talking about what he wanted to write next and i said you know what if we did uh the true story about saint nicholas you know like the actual real historical guy you know and he's like oh my god i love that idea blah 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 he's like he's and he had all these like personal connections to the idea and like he'd like his wheels were turning already you know and because we were thinking like oh cool we could do this big sword and sandals kind of religious epic you know uh the kind of movie that really doesn't get made anymore um but we could have the pre-branding of a character that literally everyone in the world knows, which is Santa Claus, right? And so um, we went off to start developing that script. And, you know, um, at the time, he didn't have an agent, and that script got him his agent. And then that script got him on the blacklist. And that script, uh, because it got on the blacklist, people were reading it over the holiday break. And when we came back, uh, we had people calling us. We had incoming calls. And one of those incoming calls was MGM. Uh, and we sold it to MGM in their TV department. They wanted to expand it into a miniseries. And so that was like one of our, like for both of us, that was like our first big thing that we developed from the ground up and, and sold to a studio. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ultimately it didn't, it didn't get made for a myriad of reasons. But like, you know, when he did the water bottle tour off of that thing originally, everyone looked at it was like, this is too big. This is too expensive. But fuck, we love the writing. We love the character. We love the drama. We love the emotion. You know, it made them feel like they were reading Gladiator, but nobody could figure out how they could make it with, you know, make a Gladiator, right? The point being, it gave Leo a career, right? It, it got him his agent. It got him his manager. It got him, uh, it got him on the blacklist, got him in front of every producer in town. You know, it got him money in his pocket. Um, and even though it didn't happen, uh, it, it opened the door for him to get his first movie made, which was one of those people that he met on that water bottle tour, right? They kept in touch with him. And when he took his next big sci-fi spec out, which everyone said you couldn't make, <laughs> they said, we think we can. And they brought director uh, Brad Payton on, who who's done a bunch of big movies like San Andreas, and um, and they brought Brad Brad Payton in, and they sold it to Netflix, and it comes out in the next year. It's a Jennifer Lopez starring movie, you oh, know. That's rad. Huge, right? There you go. But, you know, Leo's a guy who doesn't paint in small boxes. Mm. He's got big ideas, and and he cannot be contained. But you know, if he hadn't chased his passion. Uh, for that that storytelling that he has um, such affinity for, none of that might not, not have happened. You know, if he had tried to write into a little tiny box, none of that might not have happened. That's such a good point. And it sounds like, in addition to being high concept, that the St. Nicholas spec was also, um, he executed well on that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, it's not just about coming up with something high concept. It's about it's about the characters inside of it, you know? And and he, he had a, a really great handle on, you know, the classic kind of sword and sandals rise of a hero um, that he instilled into, you know, the story about a character that you've never heard before, right? Um, so it, it was kind of just like the perfect combination of, taking ip that you know but doing a really interesting character point of view story through it totally familiar but new i just yeah. taught on that this week familiar yeah. but new that's what we love <laughs> yeah. that's what execs love um but but even then you know like you know it was it was really hard he sat down i remember you know, this was back when it was still kosher to meet with the weinstein company but he sat down with the weinstein company for one of his first meetings and they were like we love this. This is amazing. It's one of the best scripts we've read all year. Blah, 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 blah. Like showering him with praise. And and it was one of the first Leo uh, uh, general meetings Leo took. And he was like, well, then why, do you, why don't you guys want to make it? You know, <laughs> like, it, like it literally. That's so innocent. Yeah, but it was so innocent. But, you know, but like genuinely, it's a great question because you, you go to these general meetings and they, they, you know, blow a bunch of smoke up your ass about how great your script is, but they passed on it. uh so but but you know what the reality is is there's two things a script can do for you one is it could get made and become a movie the other is it can be a great writing sample that gets you in front of the person who then helps get a different movie made for you yes and that's i think that's really where you know the the schism when we were talking on on twitter that's where i was breaking off was you know i don't think you should just write to a specific low-budget uh, contain box because that's what's producible. I think you have to write what's in your heart. Uh, and that is ultimately going to serve you, I think, better than trying to chase a trend or check some boxes. Right. What's in your heart? I love that. Joe Russo, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Joe Russo tweets, and I am on uh, Instagram at Joe Russo Graham. Thanks so much for being a special guest on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Wolfpack. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Please help our pack grow by sharing Hollywood Wolfpack with your friends and colleagues. Give us a rating and write us a review. Kaya loves hearing from you and reads them all. For more on Kaya and the Entertainment Business School, visit entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Until next week, remember, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack.